great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull kind of a bold move today. Uh, we're, we, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in the, the bit of chapter 6 that Stephen didn't preach last week. He, he finished at verse 11, and there's 49 verses. And, uh, and the rest of that chapter is Luke's version of the, the great sermon, the, you know, what we call in Matthew the Sermon on the Mount. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus kind of comes down the mountain and stands on a level place, so it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Anyway, um, and I actually wrote some of this sermon on a plane, so, but a different one. Um, wow. Whew. You know what? Yeah, the plane is crashing right now, isn't it? Okay. Um, but here's the bold move. I'm going to read that whole sermon to you, Jesus' sermon, and then I'm going to preach another sermon about the sermon. And if you only have capacity to listen to one, I would recommend the first one. That's, that's the one to listen to. So, um, there's, uh, so there's a little bit of, um, of introduction here, and then, uh, and then Jesus gets into the sermon. So this is Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through to the end of the chapter. Let's hear the word of God together. Then he came down with them and stood on a level place. And a large number of his disciples had gathered along with a vast multitude from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who, were, who suffered from unclean spirits were cured. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Hmm. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject you as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy, because your reward is great in heaven. For their ancestors did the same things to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort already. Woe to you who are well fed, well satisfied with food now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. But I say to you who are listening, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. And from the person who takes away your coat, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you and do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. Treat others in the same way that you would want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners so that they may be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing back. 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be the measure you receive. And he also told them this parable. Someone who is blind cannot lead another who is blind, can he? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, while you yourself don't see the beam in your own? You hypocrite. First, remove the beam from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not, are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from brambles. The good person out of the good treasury of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasury produces evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on bedrock. When a flood came, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the person who hears and does not put my words into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against that house, it collapsed immediately and was utterly destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment, as we're quiet together, would you speak to us about your word? Jesus, you warn your disciples in other places of the risk of seeing but not perceiving, of hearing but not obeying. And we've just heard some very strong commands from you and a warning about not obeying them. But we need your help, Lord. We need your help to even know how to obey this in our day-to-day life here. So would you come, Lord, and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, this is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's typically the more familiar of the two. Um, You know, Matthew's first in the Bible. Maybe that's why uh, we're more familiar with that one. And there's a lot of theories, you know, from the scholars about like, are these two different versions of the same sermon? You know, there's one theory of Jesus being on the mountain with just his disciples and giving the long sermon in Matthew and then coming down and there's the crowds. And so it gives kind of a short recap to them. And Luke gave us that one. And, and 
Uh, the theory that I like the best, you know, I don't know if that makes it any more true than the others, but the one I like the best is uh, the idea that Jesus is an itinerant preacher and uh, this, he's going around proclaiming the kingdom. And this sermon, either in Luke or in Matthew, is one of the best descriptions of the ethics of the kingdom, the way we act in the kingdom. So wherever he goes, when it, when it says in, in the Gospels, Jesus went around pro proclaiming the kingdom of God, my, my theory, or the, the theory that I agree with, is that this is kind of his stump speech for the kingdom of God. This is, you know, the, so it's not always coming out in exactly the same way. But he's going around to different groups of people saying, this is what the kingdom is like. Um, near the end of this sermon, I, I want to start at the end. Jesus gives a warning, you know, he talks about trees, you know, and the, and the kind of fruit that they bear. And, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And, and, and really, that's a warning about hypocritical teachers, about people who tell other people to do this stuff but don't do it themselves. And that makes me the wrong person to preach this sermon. I mean, I, I honestly should start this with saying the things that Jesus tells us to do in this sermon, many of them, I, I hear them and I think, I don't even know where to start on that. And, there's, and I have a lot of fear about some of these things and the type of sort of radical open generosity, I, you know what? It sounds almost foolish to me sometimes. You know, there's, there's, so I look at this and, and uh, you know, and I know that I have a beam in my own eye, a beam of wood, a log, you know, and here I am trying to help you get specks out of yours. Um, so I have to start with that because I'm in danger of being a blind guide. You know, you may not all, you know, be following me all the time, but, uh, but you're here listening to me right now. Um, and I don't want to lead you into a pit. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of you who, uh, who I want to learn from about this. Jesus' words in this sermon are unsettling. I, you know, it's, there's an old colloquialism that, that he comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, and that's what, that's what this, this sermon does. I mean, that's what it does. Um, the lifestyle presented in this sermon, having said all of that, it, it sounds like freedom to me. E even though I look at this and I think, oh, how do you do this? I think that there is a, a spiritual, emotional, relational, and just lived freedom that if, if you went all in on these words, you would experience. You know, I mean, when he says, give and it'll be given to you, you know, I don't want to... I'm not trying to twist that into, you know, so tithe more and you'll be rich, all right? I'm not trying to twist that into that. But there's, there's a lifestyle presented here that is, is a lifestyle of freedom. And so what, what's the lifestyle that's being presented? You know, there, there's this introduction that's very distracting to us, the blessings and the woes, right? Um, and, uh, and I'll talk a bit about those. And they're super distracting because I'm super woed and I'm not very blessed according to that list. Um, woad is now a word. Um, but the main point of the sermon that we miss for some reason, that we miss the main point of the sermon after this introduction um, is, 
fits in this category of our posture toward and our treatment of people we don't like. That's the main point. That like people that you don't trust, you know, you don't want to give stuff to them because you don't trust them to, to pay you back. You know, enemies, people who hurt you, people who take from you. The main point of the sermon is what we do with those people. Enemies, those who curse us, those who abuse us, people we want to judge and condemn. Like the whole sermon is about what Jesus' followers should do towards those people. And what does he say? It's, it's pretty simple. Love them, bless them, serve them, give to them, pray for them. Don't judge them. That's, that's the main point. It, it's not a complicated sermon. It's a very hard sermon. But it's not a complicated sermon. The culture that Jesus intends for his people is that we are constantly pressing outward toward those that we are struggling with, with love, blessing, service, and generosity. That we give and forgive rather than judging and condemning. That, that's the ethical baseline that Jesus lays for his people. A and, you know, believers throughout the ages, we have a, we have a pretty mixed track record on this one. Um, and when people obey this radically, we tend to call them radical. I was just learning this morning about the Anabaptists. This is a group during the Reformation, the Radical Reformation. And they took these words really seriously. They were pacifists. They were, you know, they, they turned their cheek. They, they um, you know, they lived communally. They did all this stuff. And, and even the other reformers, the, you know, the followers of Luther, you know, in particular, and, and uh, Zwingli, like, you know, the rest of us, that's kind of our tribe. You know, the Calvinists, we were, we were killing those guys. <laughs> it was too radical. Jesus is calling us to a lifestyle that is totally vulnerable. Totally vulnerable. A life that is totally dependent on the love and provision of God. It's radically committed to letting all of our love uh, and all that we own pass through our hands to those around us, especially to those people that we would rather not, that we'd rather avoid. It's unqualified. He doesn't say, you know, give within reason. He doesn't say, you know, love within reason. You know, you got to protect yourself, of course. He doesn't say any of that. And, and that's why, I, you know, I feel like a blind guide. There's plenty of times that I've said, no, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And I've avoided people in situations where I might be confronted with the risk of having to give love or anything else that I don't want to give. So that's the main point of the sermon. I had to say it out front. Now let's work through the sermon just in three kind of sections. All right, because here's what Jesus does. He, he tells us about the identity of his followers, the identity of his, you know, the people in his kingdom. He tells us about the marching orders for his followers, and he talks about leadership, you know, which I've kind of mentioned already. And I want to finish after those three things, identity, marching orders, and leadership, with a word about plausibility. Is this even possible? Okay, so identity. Um, 
we got to remember first who, like, where, you know, picture Jesus in this scene. This is why I read the verses before. You know, he comes down the mountain. He spent all night on the mountain in prayer. He chooses his 12 apostles, and, uh, and, uh, and then he comes down the mountain, and there's this massive crowd from all over the place. And they're there because they want to hear him teach, yes, but they're there for another reason, too. They're there because they're, like, sick, they're injured, they've, they've got demon possession, and they believe that this guy can heal them and set them free. And they're pressing in on him to touch them. I mean, these are desperate people from all over. These people are like, okay, there's this radical roaming itinerant teacher, but he's healing people, and we got to go meet him. We got to go. And they're trying to touch him. And Luke says power is just coming out of him to heal them all. Wow. So, okay, so Jesus is looking at that crowd. And he opens with, blessed are you who are poor. I mean, the the last time we heard Jesus teach in in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and he says that his mission is, is to proclaim good news to the poor. And what's the first word of the next sermon that we hear? Blessed are you who are poor. And, and, and then he lists, you know, hungry and, and mourning and, and persecuted or mistreated. I mean, the, the people who feel like they are on the underside of society, the, the last people that you would build a kingdom around. These are Jesus's blue chip recruits. The kids who didn't get chosen for any team. That's his team. That's his varsity team. That's who he wants. Blessed are you who are poor. They are empty and desperate, and they are a step closer to the kingdom than those who are filled and satisfied. Blessed are you who are poor. So I think that opening line for most of that crowd that Jesus is looking at is very encouraging. It's surprising, but it's very encouraging. That was them there. How about us here? (laughs) Is it encouraging to us? Um, Like I said, I get very distracted and troubled by the blessings and woes. I'm 0 for 4 on the blessings. 0 for 4. I mean, I I punched my um, annual income into a, a global wealth calculator that you know, and you put in the number of people in your household and, and the country you live in and it factors all this stuff in and, uh, and maybe you guys are overpaying me. Like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm wealthier than 95% of the population. You know, that, like, wow, well, my goodness. Um, you know, I, 0 for 4, I, I've never, you know, I, sometimes I, you know, I, there might be a gap between meals, but I never worry wor- about where the next one is coming from. I, you know, I, um, I think that one of the, like, I don't even know how to cry most of the time. When I cry, it's like I'm having convulsions because my body's like, what is this? You know, it happens so rarely. Uh, you know, so anyway, I'm, I'm over four on that stuff. You know, when people speak poorly of me, it's because I deserve it. It's not for Jesus' sake, um, generally. Uh, so, you know, that's where I'm at. Where, where are you at on that? You know, I think... I think some of you do identify with the, with the list of blessings in different ways. And I want you to hear this just pl- straight up. Jesus says you're blessed if you're in a season 
of poverty, if you're a season of mourning, if you're in a season of being mistreated because of your commitment to him, Jesus says, you're blessed. Don't, don't, don't listen to the hashtag blessed thing in our culture that looks at, still looks at wealth and comfort and happiness as blessing. Those, those things are pleasantries. They're not, they're not bad things, but they're not how Jesus describes blessing. Okay, so let me say just two quick things about these blessings and woes. I don't want us to miss the main point of the sermon, but number one, first thing, um, these are not prescriptions, they are descriptions. Okay, so they're not telling us to go out and pursue poverty for poverty's sake or hunger for hunger's sake or, or, or being mistreated because, you know, that's a, you know, we... We're not aiming to be mistreated. We're aiming to follow Jesus. And if we get mistreated, that's, that is what it is. All right. He's, it's not, these are not prescriptions. They are descriptions. They're not saying what we should be. They're telling the people who believe that God has left them behind that he is for them. Second thing, even though they're not prescriptions, this may sound a little contradictory, sorry, but even though they're not prescriptions, they do forecast the call of discipleship that's in the Gospel of Luke. They do give us a little hint of the intense things that Jesus is going to say later. Even if you're going to obey the rest of the sermon, it's going to cost you potentially everything. But the main thing is in chapter 9, the sort of the heart of Jesus' call to discipleship in Luke chapter 9 is what? If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. I mean, that is saying become poor and outcast and rejected for his sake. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whether you are starting out poor or rich, whether you're starting out hungry or filled, following Jesus calls you to lay down your life. And that looks in a a lot of different ways. But Jesus' people are those people who are dependent on him. Dependent on him. Making ourselves totally vulnerable. And Jesus is right. The more you have, the harder that feels. That's just simple human experience. You know what I'm talking about. The more you have, the harder it feels. All right, that's the identity of his followers. The marching orders of his followers. All right, I've I've already talked about this uh, quite a bit at the beginning. But how does Jesus' kingdom come? You know, he's talking about yours is the kingdom of heaven. He's going around proclaiming the kingdom. How does his kingdom come? Well, it's when his followers love our enemies. That's what we're supposed to do. That's that's like the baseline in Jesus' book, according to the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, of how we are to grow the kingdom. We are to love our enemies, whether it's people who are cursing us or mistreating us or or taking from us or judging us or whatever. Jesus' people are to love our enemies. We're, We're to be a community that's not merely open to outsiders but pursues them with love and blessing and mercy. You know, he'll, he'll tell stories about searching for a, a, a woman, a 
poor woman who has 10 coins and loses one and searches for it, or, or, or a, a shepherd who has 100 sheep and, and loses one and goes out searching for it. That's us with our enemies, all right? And I'm a novice at this. We would do well to learn from others throughout church history. You know, let me give you some obvious ones. We, we could learn much. Just go read the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., for example. Here is a man calling people who had very obvious enemies, people who didn't like them and didn't want them to thrive, and telling them to respond to cursing with blessing, to resist with nonviolence. I mean, the, the, the King was constantly criticized even from within about the type of life that he's calling people to live. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to create change, people said. You know, we could do well from learning from St. Francis of Assisi. You know, he, this, this amazing man who took these words so seriously that if he had anything of clothing on his body or food in his hands and he saw someone who he deemed needed it more than him, he would just, I mean, give it away. He, and he died quite young of malnourishment because he constantly was giving it away. Those are the people we need to learn from. Gosh, these are not perfect men. I'm not saying they're, they're perfect men, but their devotion to the principles of Jesus showed the world what he is like better than, you know, the top 10,000 sermons in history could ever do. I don't think I have any on that list, by the way. When Jesus calls us to love our enemies, who comes to mind for you? I think this is actually a challenging question. Who, co who comes to mind for you? Um, you know, I, there's some of you in this room who probably should be preaching this sermon because of the way you embody Jesus' commands. And, and you've reached, some of you have reached a point where nobody comes to mind because you've so sought to love your enemies that you just love them and they're not your enemies. And so this category has been whittled down to nothing for you. Hallelujah. May that be true of me and the rest of us. Um, but in, we're in a really safe community. We're in a really safe community. And I know some of you have, you know, are, have experienced places where you don't have that constant sort of bubble and safety around you. But when I think of this, I can think of like categories of people who I assume based on what I hear in the news, hate the category of people that I'm part of and, you know, would like to wipe that category off the face of the earth. Like there's sort of those big categories. But when I think about actual people and actual faces, I'm like, who's, who is my enemy? Who, who is this talking about? Who, who is the one who's slapping me? On? I haven't been slapped, you know, on the face. Um, somebody, somebody help me out. Um, and, and, and I find myself, you know, when I'm, try, when I'm thinking about how to actually live out this sermon, I find myself doing a similar thing to the Pharisee who heard Jesus say, you know, the first command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. A Pharisee responds, but who is my neighbor, 
teacher and he's trying to find this limited group, you know, so that he knows like I only have to love this certain group of people. And and this saying love your enemies, it might sound broader, but we can do a thing in our minds and hearts where we're like, but who is my enemy? You know? Like Maybe there's no one to apply this. Maybe I'm exempt from this sermon. There's no one to apply it to. And when we do that, we get really clever with our disobedience. Okay, on the one hand, globally, we know that our brothers and sisters are persecuted in greater numbers today around the world than ever before in history. We know that's true. So we know that there are sort of enemies of our brothers and sisters. I also think if you go and read their stories, you will find so many examples of believers loving and blessing and serving those who are mistreating them. And that's beautiful. Um, But in my own life, I need to, I need to get people out of the gray area. So those people that you are, you more naturally just say, well, they're not in the category of those, of the people I love and the people I'm connected to. And they're not, certainly not in the category of my enemies. And so I just don't have to do anything for them. Well, choose one or the other, call them a neighbor or call them an enemy. You got to treat them the same. And everyone's in that category. Just the, everyone that God brings into your life that you cross paths with is in that category. It doesn't, you know, if you feel too mean to call them an enemy, you know, just call them your neighbor. You got to do the same thing. You treat them the same way. No one is neutral. No one is neutral. Okay. So, guys, that's the main point of this sermon, of Jesus' sermon and my sermon. Thankfully, they're aligned. I hope they're aligned. Um, That's the main point. We, we get into the weeds a bit about like, well, how does this thing about giving to those who ask you and lending and, and how's this thing about judging and who do we judge and when do we, and we get into the weeds and, and I'm here to tell you for, until you've got the main point, don't do that other stuff. Don't do that other stuff. Okay. Third point, the future leaders of Jesus followers. He finishes this sermon, where I started the sermon, talking about hypocritical leaders. Uh, so, I'll, and so I'll be very brief here since I, um, since I already mentioned this. But if you read the four Gospels, you will find that one of the main things that Jesus talks about, that he's frustrated by, is that the, the local leaders of the Jewish people, the local pastors... Frankly, they're called Pharisees, but they're community leaders who are skilled in teaching the scriptures and, you know, they organize the meetings at the synagogue. They're local pastors. And he is very frustrated at them because they love the influence and prestige and social clout that they have. And they tell people to do all sorts of things that they're unwilling to do themselves. And that, he says, is hypocrisy. That's hypocritical leaders. And so what does he say You know, he's got the 12. He just named his 12 apostles. And what does he say? You know, he says, hey, no student is greater than their teacher, uh, but all students will become like their teacher. He's calling us to become like him. 
He's calling us to walk in these ways. Here is the call to do it. Don't find loopholes. Don't work our way around it. But, you know, be like the person who dug down deep and built our house on good foundation. Do his words. The true leaders of Jesus' people, no matter who stands on stage and has a microphone attached to their face, the true leaders of Jesus' people are those who do what he says. Full stop. Okay. So, having said all this, I know this is, how are you guys doing? You doing okay? Okay. I know we're being challenged here. I'm being challenged. Um, is it even possible? Is this plausible? Do you know that, maybe you do, because I've taught this, that, you know, one common way to deal with these tough commands of Jesus is to say, here's what Jesus is doing. He's giving us an impossible standard that we could never possibly achieve so that we're desperate for his mercy and and repent and call on him for grace. And, And, okay, fine. At first, fine. But then he calls us in and he gives us his mercy. Right? Isn't that what he says in the middle of this? You know, that, that remember, why is he saying that we can do all of this? He says, for God is kind to sinners and the ungrateful. He's merciful. So be merciful as our father is merciful. That's what he's calling us to do. You know, yeah, it makes us more dependent on Jesus' grace and mercy. These things do make me feel completely naked and vulnerable. But I don't want to use the, oh, this is an impossible standard line, because that's a cop-out. These words are not a trick to make people want salvation. They are a call to those who have received it. That's what they are. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount has this line, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, how does Luke rephrase that line? Be merciful as your father is merciful. Mercy and perfection are equated. God's perfection, his holiness is shown in the way he treats his enemies. And we get to be called to do the same thing. These words are impossible before you've experienced mercy, but once we've tasted it, once you have drank from a a well that will never run dry, you're not afraid to give water away, right? That's That's the simple math that Jesus is laying out here. This whole thing hinges on the story of a God who in the person of his son became poor, blessed those who cursed him, loved his enemies, prayed just the night before this sermon all night for those who would mistreat him. He's the true leader. He's the true leader. He turned his cheek. He gave his cloak and his shirt. He gave his riches. And his listeners there in this very scene have just tasted of that mercy. I mean, they've just listened to a guy. No, they've, they've watched. What did this look like? Power is coming out of him to heal them all. What did that look like? I'm like, I want to see that. What did that look like? Was there like a beam of light? Ooh, you know, but, you know, that's what they, like, oh, yeah, well, I guess 
if that's available to me, I can do all of this. That's the gospel in total. We've received this so that we can freely give. I, I do admit I'm scared to go all in on that, but that's where freedom is found. That's where it's found. It's found in a one who reminds us with bread and wine that he gave his body and blood for us. That's where freedom is found. Friends, our Father is merciful. Here is the reminder that he gave his only son so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. Here it is, right here. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, take this and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear the mercy? So whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. We remember his mercy. We're tapped back in to that well that will never run dry until he comes. Friends, he's kind to the ungrateful and to the sinners. And this is where he proves it right here. So eat of this and then obey his words. That's the only order you can do it in. That's the only order you can do it in. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. We love you. We ask, Lord, for, for your Holy Spirit to come, to move in power in us and through us. Lord, that, that we would be a people who love our enemies, who know, as we identify them, that we would go toward them with love and mercy and, and gifts. Lord, that we would willingly be taken advantage of for your glory, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, in our desperate need for your mercy, we prepare our hearts now for the table. Lord, thank you for inviting us in, even though we don't get it and we struggle to do it. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.